0: Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Good topic today, marketing attribution. And no one better to talk about that than my guest, Michael McKinnon. Michael is the Vice President Global Revenue Operations at LogRhythm. If the name sounds familiar, well, maybe you know him and you're connected to him on LinkedIn. If not, you should. But he may sound familiar because he's been on the program several times before, because it is a definitely a topic that we love to chat about. And Michael, a topic you love to chat about so much, you just uh, gave a great presentation, I guess, what was it, a week or two ago? Yes, yeah, last week. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for rejoining me on the program, and and we've got a treat for you guys. In the show notes, we're going to put a link to that slide deck. You, you think about that. How how long was your presentation?
1: A half hour. Yep, it was a half the, uh, hour ah, Tech right. virtual conference.
0: I was going to market this as the Reader's Digest version of it, thinking that it was about an hour, but we'll we'll probably go a half hour. But we're gonna we're gonna cover this topic um, a little different perspective. Let's look at the deck that you guys are gonna uh, get and download as just additional content for you guys. Some overlap, but additional content. Michael, thank you so much for um, joining me back on the program. Uh, Michael and I have some pretty similar roots. We both were extremely early in the marketing automation and, and marketing operations field. Uh, he and I were both Eloqua customers way back in the day. Uh, and and I know Michael actually through another member of my team, my VP of alliances, Anita Covelli, and Michael worked together uh, at ReadyTalk. And so really, really nice to have you back on the program. It was virtual, so before we dive into the content, I'm just question: was it really, you do a lot of public speaking. Was it different for you having a, a virtual audience rather than a bunch of people head nodding and taking notes and, and pulling out their phones and taking pictures of your slides like you've done in the past? Yeah,
1: it was a little different. It was my first one, first one virtual. And yeah, it certainly wasn't different. You don't get the audience feedback that you usually see. And I did notice myself, I went over a, a little bit because all you're doing is talking with on your no time feedback. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it different. Was, was fun
0: though. It's different. We'll, d- we'll dive in and, uh, just two minutes, but I do want to say this. So, like last week, Michael, you know, all of you guys, I, I gotta tell you about this because it's gonna happen to all of you if it hasn't already. We had our first in-person meetings. And I don't mean with our team, I mean people from outside the company that wow. flew in Amazing. to our office and had a conference room meeting. And it was the very first one. And we were really, I would say, responsible in terms of uh we had a lot of air filters in the room. We had all kinds of, of course, San- hand sanitizer, extra mass in case somebody lost one in that morning or what have you. But a a lot of thought had to go into like meeting logistics to make sure that everyone was comfortable. And all I can tell you is it took a while for people to get comfortable. It's the, this new normal uh, is really weird. And I just wanna share that with all of you because even though we're gonna talk about marketing attribution today, as soon as you or people outside your company are gonna get back together, you will uh, need to experience this, and, and what I can tell you is, it's awkward from the handshaking to the uh, hellos and the goodbyes. It's just all really freaking weird. But it was a, it was a good experience nonetheless because it was nice to see people face to face. At least at least you and I get to see each other uh, through the camera, but it's it's just nothing like the presence. So weird times. It is certainly is marketing attribution. Uh, Let's let's start off about this role that you have as revenue operations at DemandGen. We have a head of marketing operations and we had a have a head of sales operations. And if you could just describe, you know, your role, which we see as an ever increasing uh, role in popularity, the role of revenue ops, describe uh, your your do your duties and and how that relates to the the left foot and the right foot or the right hand, the left hand, the sales and marketing aspect.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and thanks for having me again, David. It's yeah. always great to talk and always great to be on on your podcast. Um, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so the um, typically you look at the marketing ops group and the sales ops group and they're they're right, they're doing similar functions for the different groups. And when you look at a company and you look at you know, the revenue generating groups, you're usually looking at sales, which contains usually your account management team or your CSM team and marketing. And then if you have a channel, there's, there's the channel group too. Um, and those are typically your three revenue generating functions. And they all have the same needs. They all need technology, they all need process, they all need architecture, they all need reporting, they all need governance. Um, and a lot of times when you have these two groups separated sales ops and marketing ops, you're buying at worst, you're, 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 you know, buying multiple techs. Um at best. You're using technology you have not, not as quite as efficiently, as you can, and you oftentimes step on each other's toes. Um, you have processes that don't align properly, and then you have finger pointing between the two groups when revenue accounting time comes because each group has, may have a different methodology for counting or tracking or attributing and whatnot. So I think, you know, the move is to collapse these two groups under one. And so you can have, get rid of that, you know, source the technology from one group that's used by both groups, one reporting, uh, finger pointing goes away. Because now each group is aware of the other. And, and as a side effect, you, you, you now you have the ability when sales ask questions about marketing, the RevOps group is able to intelligently answer those rather than sales ops asking, or well, the sales group asking about, from sales ops, hey, what is marketing doing? Sales ops often can't intelligently supply an answer and vice versa. So when marketing is wondering, hey, what is sales doing? You can intelligently answer that question. So it brings understanding and and compassion from both groups um, that each side has a hard job um, and they're all trying as hard as they can.
0: Yeah. Who do you, I don't mean individual's name, but who do you report up to? Um, What role?
1: Yeah, so I'm actually unique. Typically, the uh, RevOps leader will report to the CRO or the CFO. That's mm-hmm. typically where you see them. The CFO, if you want to be completely agnostic and have no bias whatsoever, mm-hmm. um, but uh, this it's usually the CRO who, who has under them both the marketing and the sales leader will report. Our company is a little different because it, it was structured organically, and I started in marketing ops. We got bought by a VC firm. They turned over the senior leadership, and so I report into the CMO um, at, at my group, but, th- but that, I would say, is atypical of a RevOps head.
0: Does it, does it, uh, I'm going to avoid politics completely, uh, but there's so many references I can make where I'm going with this is, do you feel because you report, even though you're saying it's unique, not sure it is. I'll keep pulling. Um, you feel there's any bias or influence from your leader in terms of any kind of attribution or contribution?
1: No, uh, she's pretty. Uh, she's a pretty solid CMO. Um, I, I'm pretty independent. I actually meet with the CRO, who leads our sales team, more than I meet with her, um, because that's the the higher demand is over there. Um, mm-hmm. I get the same questions from her when I was in my old role as I do in this role, and there's there's no demand for me to tweak the numbers per se <laughs> to make make things look rosier than they are. She's pretty transparent, right. and so it it, yeah. it makes my job easy.
0: I was going to make some CDC comments, but I'm not going. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: um, a lot of comments in there. Yep. Oh, yep. yeah. <laughs>
0: right. What what is uh, you, you started here in the in the uh, session that you did at MarTech, the difference between attribution or contribution? Why don't, why don't we start there? Because they are two words that are often used synonymously. Uh, and you took the time to say, welcome, everybody. Let's let's first create some distinction here. Would you take us through that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is an important distinction because you're right. They will be used interchangeably, but um, to, to the detriment of, of everyone, because they actually, they should mean, you should peel them apart and they should mean something else. So contribution is looking at the amount of revenue that a marketing organization contributes to the company. And so that that's what you're focused on is their revenue contribution or bookings contribution, whatever you may say, and the structure and the process and the tech that supports the tracking of that contribution. Attribution is um, really looking at what tactics, activities, campaigns, programs, whatever you may call them, actually make up that contribution. So what are, what tactics are creating, generating the most marketing contribution? So what tactics can you attribute back to that contribution to, to say a mouthful of Dr. Seuss? Um, but that's essentially what you want to do. So when you're talking attribution, you're looking at marketing activities campaigns and programs, when you're talking contribution, you're looking at a top-line revenue number of what is the total amount of revenue, both influence and source, that marketing contributed. And then what campaigns and activities attributed or attributed, sorry, to that contribution. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's, uh, let's put some numbers to it to help folks. Um, I mentioned to you, in preparation for our podcast, that I took every deal that we have closed from 2019, January, 2019, until end of last month. So at the time of recording, we're like middle of October. Uh, so through September and 42% of the deals came from marketing. Is that attribution or contribution?
1: That is contribution, right? So if you're saying, you now, is that an influenced or sourced number? Either way, it would be they contributed uh, that much revenue.
0: Right? Got it. And if I wanted to report a number to that, let's say the 42% was $100 million in revenue, it's still contribution. So if you're saying this okay. much revenue came from marketing or this many closed one opportunities, in my case, it was sourced. So w- what the actual okay. first touch sources? we'll okay. get to uh, those models in, the, in a little bit. Um, which, you know, just, just full disclosure for everybody. If you want to compare, uh, we're a services company and I would think with a company with the name of demand gen, uh, and my bias for marketing driving growth, you would not be surprised that 42% of the business comes from marketing. We do a good job there. Only 6% comes from sales as a source, uh, former clients. And I want to thank you all because 26% of our business during this time period came from all of you that bring the band back together. When you guys make a move, um, 18% comes under Anita's, uh, alliances, uh, area and 8% is referral. We track that specifically. So those are our main four areas that we track. And there's some numbers that roll up to a hundred percent, uh, contrast to your business, Michael, if you would, what what, uh, what kind of role does marketing play in terms of the contribution there?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think it, typically you'll see it on a sliding scale, and the, the smaller the company, the bigger the bigger road marketing has to has to pave. Yep. So, just to give you some numbers here, when I was at ReadyTalk, um, we were small. Um, we started off as I think as the seventh person hired there, and we grew at about two hundred, which is is relatively small. Revenues in 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 you know in the twenty millions at that point at at, at their biggest, and marketing sourced eighty percent of the revenue that came in there. Eighty-five mm-hmm. percent. It was mm-hmm. a B two B subscription-driven SaaS company, which plays a role. You can buy it on the internet. Um, buy it off the website. Sorry, uh, via a credit card, um, and all that is considered, you know, marketing uh, contributed if they're we're driving them to a form to buy via web programs and PPC. So that that was that's a, that's on the large end. And then uh, when I worked at Avaya, you know, a Fortune Fortune five hundred company, you know, uh, everyone knows Avaya massive channel, massive sales force. We contributed 1%, but that 1% was, you know, a hundred million, 200 Mm -hmm. million in in revenue. Um, and we weren't looked at, at a company like a you're not looking at marketing to actually source revenue. You're looking at them for PR branding, um, advertising, uh, investor relations and things like that. And now logarithm, fast forward to logarithm. We're right in the middle. You know, we're five, six hundred employees where the revenues, you know, much bigger than ReadyTalk, and we're in around the 20% range of overall revenue. Um, mm-hmm. and if you want to split it out between new, new and existing new, because typically at a company, you know, marketing is usually tasked with finding net new logos. Um, and that's what we focus on. We're 40 to 50 percent of the net new business, 20% of the overall business.
0: Got it. So let's, let's cap this. I'm going to, I'm going to create a, try to create a visual in everybody's mind to summarize the, the attribution versus contribution. See if this works for you, Michael, your picture, a person standing in a field and to the left of them are a bunch of small piles of stuff. And to the right of them is a big pile. The big pile is contribution and the little piles are attribution And and the person's holding a shovel. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, and then I, I think that's perfect. And over the little piles, I would have, you know, a little little Nome equation. Say, you know, PPC webinars, um, email campaigns, right? All the tactics and activities that drive that little amount of money to make up the big amount.
0: Yeah. Bingo. All right, yeah. cool. Um, why is why is contribution so important from your perspective? I mean, I don't want to assume that that's like given anybody's mind, but in today's day and age, uh, it, it is. I think you describe it as a, a necessary evil.
1: Yeah, and it is, and that, I think that's the most important thing to understand when you're trying to get alignment with with the sales team because it's typically a, a sales team is going to be funded um, no matter what. Marketing team, on the other hand, usually at a, at a company has to prove their worth. You know, a, a CFO wants to know if I give marketing a dollar, how much am I going to get back? There's that. It's still kind of back in the in the day when marketing was considered an expense. Right? So they. while we have progressed significantly over the past 15 to 20 years to be more data-driven than some salespeople, more tech-focused, there still is that archaic knowledge of, hey, marketing is an expense. When the company's doing bad, I'm going to look to cut marketing. Um, mm-hmm. And that's usually the first place they go. And so, you know, in order to be able to get funding, you have to prove that you can do stuff with that money. Um, and that's where the contribution comes in. But unfortunately, the reason why I called it in this evil was in order to secure that funding, in order to get more, the marketing leader has to prove that they can get a return on that money or they won't get more or get cut. But it also creates a us and them with sales because sales typically they're, you know, they're extroverted, they're very competitive. Um, that's why they're salespeople. Um, and if you start touting how much marketing is bringing in, you often create a little bit of conflict between mm-hmm. sales and marketing because every deal is very nebulous. How it starts, it could be attributed in many ways. So you'll get salespeople coming and say, hey, I was talking to that dude way before he came in and filled out this form. Yeah. So, you know, I, I met him at a dinner. A month before and then he came in and he filled out this form and now you guys are saying you got it but i talked to him and so you're always going to get that so i think what's important is to understand that when marketing is going to get their funding it helps the company it doesn't help sales to get marketing's budget cut sales gets paid the same no matter what typically i'm sure there are mm-hmm. some companies that say hey you get paid more in source but typically every company i've been at their commission structure is the same regardless of whether they brought that lead in or not um marketing on the other hand their 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 budgeting is based on the return they can get if they can't make money with their budget their budget's going to get cut um, yeah. and i think everyone needs to understand that And so then when marketing goes into modeling um why i like to put it with the sales is hey I can't count dollars twice. I can't give you a dollar and marketing a dollar and come up with a model that's actually gonna be realistic and be able to help me predict the future. So I have to bucket it somewhere. It's not mm-hmm. perfect. It's not always right. We miss money, but in order to model, I'm gonna have to put it into a bucket. Um, and I try to try to bring them together that way to let them know that I, I personally don't care what bucket it falls in, but I gotta put it into a bucket. And I need to come up with a way that we both can agree on that's black and white that a machine can do that will bucket these. Um, when, when it comes time to model,
0: I have a recording from, a, a recent sales and marketing meeting where the conversation came up about, uh, yeah. contribution. Do you, do you want me to play it real quickly? Yeah,
1: that'd be great. Okay. I mean, yeah.
0: Here, here you go. It's <laughs> hopefully you can hear that. Just, just some gunfire. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it, 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 uh, it can get pretty, pretty <laughs> intense. Yeah. It, it's yeah. weird because I love the point that you're making. Like, we want to fund marketing. I mean, we got to get marketing always to make a contribution, right? You know, Same thing where you don't want to have a sales team and have a whole bunch of underperformers and just, you know, let that be okay. Um, obviously, you, you can't. and Sales management is looking at their performance. Um, it, is, it is interesting in my experience now several decades to see the lack of tolerance for marketing programs that... F- Fail versus sales team members that fail. I don't know if you want to comment about that, but you know, there's there's just there's not much acceptance, especially on the amount of money that's being spent. Right, if if a marketing program really comes up shy, but sales almost expected that a very small percentage of your salespeople are going to actually perform to plan. Yeah,
1: and I think that goes back to the historical bias of, of sales as a revenue generator and marketing as an expense. So it's like expected that you'll have you know. Fifty percent of your reps at fifty percent attainment, and you'll just get—you'll just have constant turnover in the lower ranks. It's just the name of the game. They're yeah. not going to stop hiring reps; they're going to just go out and find new reps. Um, whereas, you know, a, a marketing program fails, and everyone moans about the money wasted. Um, where, you know, um, if you if you try to compare failed marketing programs and failed reps on a one-to-one basis. I, you know, it'd be interesting to see the ROI on that. I, I would argue that it's actually better to fail a program than to fail a rep. Yeah. You're going to have to onboard the rep with the overhead and the training, and then you don't know he's failed until six months in when he's booked yeah. nothing for six months. Hmm.
0: I love your um, your definitions of sourced versus influenced, and I think that is something well worth sharing. It's one of the reasons that I wanted to make the deck available to you guys that Michael put together because there's some nuggets in this deck that you – really want to try to bring in and uh, elevate these conversations if you, if you haven't already. So uh, I'll use your content on you, Michael. You ready? Right. True right. or false? True or false? Uh oh. <laughs> marketing sourced. Uh, true or false is uh, marketing source is the original source of the lead. That is false. Okay. Let's go again. Uh, sourced is the most recent lead source.
1: That's false as well.
0: And the last one, uh, Sourced is the actual marketing campaign.
1: That's false as well.
0: God, he knows his content inside now. <laughs> I know he's not even looking at it. Um, <laughs> what you say is Sourced is the group or person who is responsible for creating the opportunity. And that is exactly how I reported earlier. That 42% uh, on the contribution side is from the department. That's from marketing, not a specific uh, campaign and then influence. You define. I want to take you through it because you know I'm going to give you all the falses. Um, you said influenced is a marketing touch on an individual who is associated with the opportunity. So even nurtures can play a role there. Certainly events can play a role there. Basically, you're saying anything that was a touch during the sales process. Now, do you draw a certain time frame that says after this point we no longer count influence? For example, I know some people, once the opportunity is created, they no longer do influence. I'm curious to get your your models or perspective.
1: Yeah, um, it, so that can vary. I've seen people do that. Um, what I like to do is, especially if you have a group that's responsible for uh, opportunity acceleration, you don't wanna stop the counting of influence once the ops created. So typically we have a, um, a channel group that will do channel events for people in active ops. Right. We want to make sure that those events are actually getting some revenue influence attached to them if they're if they're successful. So we'll count all the way to the actual closed final disposition of the opportunity. So we'll continue to track campaign touches. Now, the one thing about influence I'd like to touch on is, you know, influence is a pretty hokey number in a lot of companies. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll get poo pooed by a lot of sales execs if there's not agreement on what it is. And so you want to draw influenced you know, typically, I try to draw it as tight as possible so it's as believable as possible. Because if you say influence is a marketing touch on any contact on that account, they're not going to believe that. You're going to get influence numbers that are so high, people are going to laugh at you. And so what I like to do is bring that down a little bit stricter. I think my definition is a marketing touch on a contact that is associated with the opportunity. You can draw that even tighter and say it's a marketing touch on a contact that has a buyer role on the opportunity. So they have to attribute a contact role to it. And it, you could even say it has to be one of these five buyer roles, it has to be a decision maker, an influencer, economic buyer. Um, that puts a lot of the onus on sales to be adding contact roles and uh, mm-hmm. to the opportunity. But that is the tightest definition and the one that most salespeople won't balk at. You want to settle somewhere between the tightest one I drew and the loosest one I drew. If you keep the loosest one, you might might as well not even show it to anyone um, because it's just a, it's going to be a funny number because you probably run so many campaigns you have touches on everyone in the database at some point point. Um, and then yeah in terms of the time frame I like to say it um, you know obviously we look at it from the opportunity standpoint so if that opportunity is final disposition of closed. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a six-month closeout. So um, if, if another opportunity arises six months later, that influence count starts again. You can't carry over campaigns after six months. Um, that time frame can be a year. Typically, you like to draw it longer than your sales cycle. Our sales cycle is about six months. Um, mm-hmm. So you want to draw it a, lo- a little bit longer. Um, what you don't want is that um, opportunity to get revived um, in, in less than six months. And then you, you lose influence or you gain influence. That's not actually true
0: let's talk about attribution the challenges there because she mentioned a few things right there about the content being associated with the opportunity i want to say to all of you listening out there in uh demand gen radio community um hopefully you guys know that we started a youtube channel and fastest way to get there is just demandgen.tv we got that domain and it just takes you directly to our channel on youtube the reason i'm i'm encouraging you to go over there and subscribe and become a member of that community as well is there's a lot of great show and tell. And one specifically I want you guys to watch, Justin, will you please link to it in the show comments, is one called Campaign Attribution, Why You Must Attach Contacts to Opportunities. And Sabrina and I show you specifically why this is so important that your sales team must attach contacts to opportunities. But let's talk about it, Michael, because uh, this is something that you... You know inside and out and the importance of it, and I, I, it just has to go on record that we can't allow human behavior to solve this for us. For some reason, Salesforce just just doesn't do what we need it to do um, the way that they do attribution in the CRM, and so many of us, every one of our clients at some point will use additional technology, bolt-on technology, to Address this. Uh, What are your thoughts in terms of the significance of this and how, in your role, how critical that is? I mean, do you train sales and make sure they know about this stuff, or do you use technology to solve the problem?
1: Yeah, I think it's 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 a couple of things. It's 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 those two, and then it's a third one of uh, straight up governance, where you're actually eliminating. So let's talk about that one first because it's the quickest. So typically, what I recommend everyone do is. Uh, you can have your Salesforce administrator remove the ability to create opportunities from the account, take it off. Don't let them do it. Just take it off the button. Can't do it. Um, and also remove the ability to create opportunities from the opportunity object, just remove the new opportunity button. So the only way they can create opportunities is by going to the contact and hitting the new opportunity down the opportunity object. That should be the only way they can create ops. And that will take care of a lot of this junk where they're creating uh, opportunities from our account by nature. It won't have a contact, um, and then they're running with it and you got to go back and say, who, you're talking to someone who, yeah. who, who is buying from you.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that's the first way.
0: I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm just going to say, we do that. I want to underscore that we do that yeah. here at demand gen. And we do that for every one of our clients where we make that prescription. We literally go in and remove the buttons. Now, are there back doors and ways that you can do that as sales rep can? Sure. But the point that you're making is if it's on the contact, and you teach them the workflow. Like, as, let's say you're the you're my prospect. I'm talking to Michael. I'm entering information on his contact record. That's where I can click a new opportunity button and create that. So he's there. If you give other doorways, other ways to do that, they will go down that path, and it will it will jeopardize your certainly your your contribution for sure.
1: That's for sure. Yeah. So that's the, that's the first, first thing we do, which is great that you guys are doing it. Um, The second way is training. And then it's the understanding of, Hey, you know, that event you went to generated this, this opportunity, you didn't put this person on it. So therefore we're not, we can't go to that event because we showed zero ROI. So helping them understand that they're helping marketing, like, like I said, it's it's no one's best interest to have marketing, not funded. It's it's no one's best interest. So the more they can do to show marketing ROI on the events they ask for, um, the better they understand that, and the, the more apt they're 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 they ought to do that. If you show them the impact of what they're doing, uh, rather than just telling them they can't do it. Sales guys aren't they're not nefarious. They're they're just going to take the path of least resistance because they're 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 moving quickly and they want to get stuff done. Um, so if you train in the right way, show them why. That typically takes care of most of the use cases, yeah. and then of course there are things that will happen, and that's where technology comes in to close those final gaps. Yeah. Um, and there's all sorts of tech out there. You know, there's there's lean, I'm married to none. Um, um, there's Lean Data, there's Visible, there's Full Circle, there's BI tools, there's now tools like Cleary that do contact adding off of you know Outlook and email. So if you're emailing people back and forth and they find that that contact is not in Salesforce, they'll add it for you. Um, and so that's, you'll see that that happens quite a bit where sales guys are actually interacting with several people on an op, but there's only one of them on the opportunity, but they're emailing a bunch and only one gets on or one even gets into Salesforce. And so, you know, tools like Insight Squared and Query can now take care of that by scraping calendars of, of um, your sales reps. And so that's how you close the, the final corner that that will inevitably happen you try to close it with with um with technology and then there's also then there's this the exception reporting you know show me all the opportunities with no contacts give me a list i'm gonna go through it every month and i'm gonna follow up with those sales guys um so i think it's a it's a it's a it's a different pronged approach
0: yeah you mentioned clary c l a r i this podcast is not sponsored by them but um Implicit. I don't know if you remember Implicit. I was an advisor for them and they were out of Israel and they did the same type of thing. They had a technology that you basically connected your Outlook account uh, into the platform and your Salesforce account. And so it, it it would automatically create contacts. I mean, there were workflows that you could set up if you didn't want this, but it would automatically create contacts if members of your team were emailing people and they didn't exist in Salesforce. And it was a really great solution. They required by Salesforce, which was great, and celebrated with them. Uh, And now I don't know where that is. I don't know if that's part of lightning. I'm going to take an action item and and reach back out, former CEO, and and where that is. But there is other technology. Anyway, underscoring this, and guys, if you want to have a conversation about this, feel free to reach out to me. I can connect you with my team, and they can walk you through this. This is really essential ingredients for successful revenue operations. And, And if that means marketing ops, to you guys or sales ops, you, you have to understand these technical hurdles and have approaches. And as Michael's done, really create some definitions around these things so that your organization knows what uh, your definition of, of contribution is and influenced and um, those other parameters. Let's talk a little bit, uh, Michael, about, uh, the attribution models, and a lot of people always ask me all the time, you know, Dave, there's, there's something like six different attribution models, which one is right for us? Which one should we use? I get that question all the time. Uh, let's have you answer that because I, I, you, right. It's, it's not just one.
1: It isn't. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And I get that question all the time too. Which one? And I say, well, what, what question are you trying to answer? Um, and so let's just get back. So attribution now what you're looking at is, you know, attribution is really the domain of, of the the demand gen, the person running campaigns and and they wanna know of all the things I'm doing, all the activities I'm doing, which one is attributing most to the revenue of which which campaigns are driving the most revenue to f- fill up that bucket of contribution. And so I think last time I checked, there's something like 13 um, and they're all over the place. But you know, the, the ones I typically like to look at and I'll give you the reasons why. And then just so everyone knows, it you know, these are called first touch, last touch. The first touch could be whatever you define as first touch. Um, so the first touch could be something you're pulling from Google analytics and it's anonymous. Um, it's anonymous traffic. That then, when that person becomes known, you're linking that first touch to that known user through something like Visible or Google Analytics. You could consider that the first touch. The first touch could also be lead creation. Um, that's typically more more useful because if that if you're counting your first touch as that anonymous touch and that user never becomes known in your system, you're losing all of that information Um, so typically and you'll see first touch means lead creation and then last touch you could see uh, either means the creation of the opportunity or it could mean the closing of the opportunity if you're tracking attribution all the way through to the end but i'll tell you why Um, i don't like using the the closing of the opportunity as last touch Um, Or sometimes you'll see it depending on where the BDR group sits. If the BDR group's sitting in sales, your last touch could be the creation of the MQL because that's Mm -hmm. essentially where marketing is now generating something that's sales ready and handing it off. And so that could be the last touch. Or if the BDR group's in marketing, it could be the creation of the TQL where the BDR group actually telequalifies that and then hands it to sales. That could be considered the last touch.
0: So super important. I want to underscore these. Okay, so draw yourself on a piece of paper or mentally in your mind since you're maybe on a bike ride or doing something right now, Michael said first touch. So draw a line on the left and there's a, there's a really big distinction there on the left side, which is you can have the anonymous activity Further to the left of what first touch is, um, or further down like lead creation, so you have to decide what you consider first touch. Mike, I'll give an example. We do a tremendous amount of content, as you guys heard. You know, we've got demand gen TV, we've got demand gen radio, we've got our blog and resources. I hope you guys are consuming all of that. Some of this content is on pages that we have our tracking scripts on, so we know anonymously that you have looked at this information. We don't. We don't gate very much content at all, Michael. So at some point, let's say you guys download something. Uh, And so, for example, this, this deck that we're giving you guys that Michael presented, it's not a gated piece of content. You can just click the link and go get it off of our resource hub is that a touch? Was the podcast a touch? Like, you know, so we have all this anonymous activity. When you eventually fill out a form or click an email, now we're going to connect all that historical anonymous information with your contact record. And, and what you're saying, Michael, as, as I understand you're saying is decide if you want to, if, if you're doing that retroactively tracking, do you want to create any of that as a first touch? And the reason that might be important is like we spend a lot of time doing our podcasts and doing the YouTube channel. And yes, we do it to educate and inform you guys. That's the reason. But we certainly want to know if any of this does eventually bring business uh, to us. So thoughts in terms of, I don't know if you want to talk about what you guys do, but you made such an important point, which is it doesn't have to be during a form submit. It can be prior to that as well. I don't often see that, but it can be.
1: Yeah. And I think they're right. there's no right answer. I think it, it's a combination of how much anonymous or ungated assets do you have out there? How important are they are to you? And how confident are you that you can track them? Because yeah. that is an art of wizardry and tech right there, what you're trying to do. And then understanding that one, it's going to be, the attribution model is going to be biased towards that top of the, the funnel content. Um, and you might be missing out on attribution of people that never became not become known. And so you're going to get an incomplete picture if you're running first touch only. Um, and especially if you can't track it properly. So I think it's just an assessment of the tech you're using and how important that is to you on what, where you want to start your
0: first touch. Love it. And, uh, we'll go to the, go to the other ones in a second, but, um, in my book, you guys, uh, manufacturing demand, if you don't have a copy of it, please go download it. Justin put a link to that as well. It's a downloadable asset. That one might be gated. I'm not sure, but we'll see what happens. Uh, anyway, it's a full copy of the book in the book. Uh, I talk about the four C's around attribution, Michael. And I say, uh, the first one is what counts, like what matters, exactly what we're describing. The second C is how you calculate it. That's that C, because you can do attribution as we're talking about many different ways. The third C is what you can count on. Like you said, the consistency and integrity of you always being able to get that information. If you're going to have a model that you're going to do some type of attribution, You've got to be able to count on it if it's going to happen repeatable because otherwise it's going to really damage your, your data. The 4C, which I don't talk about in the book, I'm sorry, I'd have to write a third edition, but you got it here, which is how you communicate it. M- Michael's a master at communicating the performance. He's he's the head of revenue operations. He has to be phenomenal at communicating to the organization in a way that they understand it. I mean, we started the podcast just talking about different definitions, right? Not This is not native to everybody, and so super, super important. Anyway, grab a copy of that, guys. Chapter eight is all about marketing analytics. I think you will enjoy it. Um, so we covered first touch, last touch. Like you said, there's at least four others. Let me let you uh, continue. So I think you hit lead creation.
1: Yeah, so yeah, I, I typically use lead oh, creation because really. that's the easiest you know, that's when the lead comes in. So lead yeah. recreation is what I use that one for is just what are my campaigns generating leads, actual net new names. And that's an important statistic for um, your, your demand gen person because you have some campaigns that generate a lot of net new names and some campaigns that don't. So if you're looking and obviously net new is the, 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 the fuel that fuels that drives your, your demand gen engine. So without names coming in, it's it's gonna go it's gonna go go dry and so you need to have campaigns that drive that um, and that's a really good way to look at what content is driving those net new names um, and then to double down on that type of content so uh, that that's that's a great one um, and then the the last touch for me whether it's TQL or MQL is a really good way to understand what was the the piece of content that drove them into an active sales cycle? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a really good way to understand that is saying, you know, okay, this is the campaign that got the name, but this is the one that actually dictated that to us that they were sales ready and ready to interact with a human. And then if you can couple that campaign with a basically, however you want to call it, last touch, whether it's TQL or MQL, to op conversion, you can start understanding what content is actually more indicative of an active sales cycle and what content is generating tire kickers that will talk to a human but won't become an active op. So if you can you can somehow, and you can do that with these more complicated tools, is look at what's my last touch, whether that's MQL, TQL, conversion to SQL. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will show you, yeah, I'm, I'm talking to these people. They want to talk to me. But this piece of content, they're talking to me, but they're not becoming active ops. This piece, they're talking to me, and they are. And ultimately, that's what you want. You want active ops. You want opportunities in the funnel. So it's a really good way. Couple those two pieces of data together to get something that's actionable for your demand gen team. Um, Yeah.
0: Let's. um, So uh, as as you guys uh, heard in the beginning of the podcast, there's a link to Mike's slide deck. his later slides, slides ten and eleven, have the six different attribution models, including a recommendations uh, slide yeah. from Michael. and And feel free, as I said in the very beginning of the episode, you know, we're all here to help one another, educate and inform. Michael's, you know, like you guys, a, a practitioner doesn't run an agency, but um, connect with him on LinkedIn. Michael McKinnon, M C K I N N O uh, N. Mike, final thoughts for folks that have been. Maybe struggling with this, or looking at at planning for next year and doing through doing things differently. If if you could tell your your younger self uh, any any thoughts, lessons, or guidance, what would you share?
1: Yeah, I would I would say um, get those definitions and share them with the sales force. Um, there'll be some batting around back and forth. They might not like them, but if they agree on them, that's all that matters. Um, so when you go and show your number to a sales leader. They know how it was calculated. They know the structure and the process that governed that calculation and they can get behind it at least. Um, And so it's not a black box. You don't want a black box. You don't want, as I put in my uh, talk there, if you download it, that marketing is just drinking and guessing. Um, You want to know that marketing is structured, process-driven and analytical. And you can only do that by sharing your definitions. That's the first thing I'd say. Um, and, And make sure they buy off on them. And then the second one is Make sure whatever process you build to support that is also known. And so you come up with a definition and then you architect the process to govern that definition. And that has to be understood. Um, and the sales leaders have to know it. They might not want to know it. They might get confused, but you have to drill under their head. Every time you show them a the number, how it is generated, why it is generated. And, oh, yes, by the way, this is what we agreed upon at the beginning of the year. Um, they'll eventually get it. Um, they might not like it, but they'll get it. They'll get on board and they'll won't, they won't um, you know, silently snicker at your numbers in a separate room, which is what you're trying to avoid.
0: Love it. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming back on the yeah, program. Yeah, I always love loving letting you share your wisdom uh, with everybody. And as I said, guys, if you guys need some help with this, feel free to reach out to me. I can connect you with members of my team. I mean, this is the holy grail. I mean, you guys have got all that hard work and all those campaigns. I was with my daughter this weekend. Um, so nice to see her in Arizona, and she uh, works on the marketing team at, at Telium. This is Audrey, and and she was talking about some of the promotions and programs that they have, some of the the merch that they give people during sales cycles for taking demos and doing different things. Oh. And it's it's sizable. I mean, they're giving away some really. Nice items as incentives for taking demos and doing that for qualified people, and if you're not doing any kind of attribution on those, uh, I'll call them mid funnel, you know, in pipeline programs, and you're spending a fair amount of money, shame on you because you gotta you gotta know if those things are having an impact, uh, and that that would be you know tied to you know influence um, or some type of attribution if you're sending items as part of your flow, so. Practice it right. If you need help, get expertise. If you want to talk to Michael, I'm sure he can give you some guidance of what he's doing. But again, my team is here to help you guys. And just to wrap again, um, DemandGen TV. Uh, we launched a channel now a couple months ago, and it's building. Love to hear from you guys. I mean, what's nice about that format, Michael, is you know here there's no there's no like or comment uh, on, on mm-hmm. podcast, unfortunately, but there go go take a look at that one episode that I told you guys about that's a link there and show why it's so important that contacts are attached to opportunities all right well hey you guys that is going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio catch you guys on the next episode take care